0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Dubai and Acapulco will be the focus of this week's Monday Match Analysis. Lots of good stuff to get into. Alex De in Acapulco over Tommy Paul in the final. Daniil Medvedev making it three in a row in Dubai, beats Andre Rublev decisively in that final. But he beat Novak Djokovic in the semifinal, and I am certainly going to be discussing that. Indian Wells draw just came out as I'm recording this. Like it just came out. So as soon as I'm done with this, I'm gonna dig into that draw, and I'll have uh, the full Indian Wells preview and predictions video out in uh, probably about 24 hours from from now. So it'll be uh, Tuesday. Actually, it'll be less than 24 hours. All right, it'll be it'll be Tuesday where I'm at, and uh, I will get it out pretty quickly, pretty quickly. All right. Let's start with Medvedev. Actually, no. Let let me just quick quick uh, to not ignore the third event. Uh, on the ATP side. Uh, Nicholas Jari. Good for him. Great crowds in Santiago, Chile. Especially because that's where Jari is from. And uh, apparently his family like owns the tournament. Uh, but he had never won there. He had never won a Max there. He was 0-2. And he goes all the way. He wins the title. The guys had a crazy career. He won his maiden title in Bostad, Sweden. A couple years back. Ended up losing his next nine matches and failing a drug test so he went from winning his maiden title on the tour to losing his ranking literally losing his ranking and he's had to come all the way back and climb up and these last couple years he's done that and now i think he's you know pretty much officially back uh he's got really big weapons so let's see if he can build on this tends to kind of run hot and cold as a player Uh, You look at recent Santiago champions, it hasn't really been a a tournament that has indicated future success, I'm afraid. Pedro Martinez won it last year. Really didn't do much for the rest of the year. I was a bit underwhelmed by Martinez's 2022. Uh, Garin won it in 2021. Things kind of took a downturn after uh, that title for Christian Garin, who's, of course, also Chilean. Uh, And then Tiago Sebald-Vield won it in 2020. Veiled or Wild, I still think a lot of people call him Wild, but I think the correct way is veiled. And then the pandemic hit in March, he hasn't been the, he actually, it, it's kind of a sad story. He hasn't been in the picture since. Like he's been really bad and hasn't been able to get to that same level at all. He beat Kasper in that final. And then the pandemic hit, he was never the same. Unfortunate story there. I hope that we see him uh, again soon. Anyway, that's kind of besides the point. So congratulations to uh, to Nicholas Jari. I'm not going to be able to get any deeper than that. Medvedev. Let's start with the Djokovic semifinal. Um, Look, this is a big one for Daniil. I think he needed it. I don't think that this run of three titles in a row would have been quite as rewarding had he not beaten Djokovic somewhere along the way. And it's been an important rivalry on hardcourt, the most important rivalry on hardcourt in the last three years. And Novak had won four straight. And that match in Adelaide earlier in the year, other than the 2021 Australian Open final, that was the worst Djokovic has really beaten Medvedev. It, It didn't feel like an interesting and competitive match, which is really not how their head-to-head has been recently. So, especially with that in mind, just how Novak beat him the last time, I think it was important for Medvedev to get this win, and frankly, he was really well-positioned to get this win. I expected him to win the match because of uh, the the circumstances that I will get into. Essentially, the downfall for Djokovic against Medvedev in this match was the longer rallies, which uh, which Medvedev was uh, the far better player in. And the way Medvedev returns and defends, plus his tendency to stay in position and stay patient in neutral rallies, you have to be willing to play long points with him. It might not be your plan. It might not be what you want to do against Anil Medvedev, but sometimes it's going to happen. And when it happens, you have to be ready to hang. And Djokovic's rally tolerance and fitness was not even close. The cardio was not there. He was bailing out of rallies. He was letting the longer rallies affect his performance on subsequent points in terms of just looking for quick finishes. And the rally length statistics kind of flesh this out. So eight shots or less, Djokovic won 54 to 51. Eight shots or less. Nine shots or more was 10 to 5 Medvedev. The main story for me in my analysis of this Djokovic Medvedev had to head is that Novak, ever since he started really looking to keep points as short as possible, come forward, serve and volley, really attack the plus one ball behind his serve and drop shot a lot, slice a lot. Like Ever since he really started throwing the kitchen sink at Medvedev, and did not allow him to kind of get into these physical wars, coax him into these physical wars. Djokovic has played him really well. And other than the twenty twenty, uh, the 2022 U.S. Open loss, I feel like Djokovic has had the edge against Medvedev every single time since Novak made that adjustment. This was a match where... I don't think that the point shortening really failed Novak although he definitely missed some really crucial volleys in this match in big spots that were costly. But really it was the fact that that when he wasn't able to shorten the point he couldn't even be competitive and and that that was different, right? Because yes, I feel like Medvedev and Djokovic has been have been able to have really close and intriguing battles from the back of the court in neutral situations. I think it's been really, really... Like, Medvedev is right there. That's how I felt for a long time that Medvedev is right there. And I think Djokovic felt that way also. So he was like, oh, this guy plays me well from neutral in on in baseline rallies? Well, I better avoid that. I better avoid that altogether. And it was effective. In this match, it's not that Djokovic wasn't able to effectively avoid that... It's that instead of that being like that 50-50 tussle from neutral, it wasn't 50-50. It was like Medvedev, big advantage. And again, I think it came down to the fitness that wasn't allowing Djokovic to hang in those rallies. And this is classic Novak in March. So, well, look, I think Medvedev is playing a fantastic level. And I I hope that nobody gets the wrong idea here. But at the same time, I think that this wasn't a good version of Novak Djokovic that Medvedev beat, uh, which has been on par with what we've seen Djokovic at this time of year. Throw the hamstring stuff aside. Like, I don't know how the hamstring changed Djokovic's February, you know, wanting that hamstring to heal. Throw that aside because this has been kind of par for the course for a couple of years now where... I just don't think Novak wants to work very hard in February after the Australian Open, nor should he. Like, it's a rest period. It's a vacation period. That's how it is. And y- you look at his results at the Sunshine Double. Granted, he hasn't been able to play that since 2019. You look at his results at Monte Carlo, which is usually, I think, first week of April. It is, yeah, first week of April. Uh, they just haven't been as good. Uh, it's been his worst time of year. And I, to me, he's looked out of shape for the last couple of years at this time of year And this is just more of that. And yeah, it doesn't always matter on a quick surface like Dubai. The way Djokovic is serving and hitting his forehand, it's not going to matter against a lot of guys. I mean, look, this was a semifinal match. Djokovic still was able to play a high level last week. But against Medvedev, with his returning in defense, he's going to drag you into the physical trenches. And Djokovic wasn't ready to do that. Uh, Before I get into the Rublev final, let me just break that up with my take on Medvedev winning his third title in a row. A couple of patterns here. First of all, I have noticed for Daniil, fatigue rarely gets in the way of momentum for him. It's a great quality about, about Daniil Medvedev where it feels like when he's on a roll He tends to keep it going for a long time, usually until either the season ends or until there's kind of a break in the schedule or sometimes maybe the surface. I mean, this doesn't really happen uh, late in the year, but in this case, well, now let's see what happens because uh, the surfaces are about to slow down for a really long time now. Indian Wells, Miami, clay. We're not going to get quick surfaces for a long time. So now we're going to see how Medvedev deals with that. But rarely does fatigue get in the way of momentum for him. And we saw that in the summer of 2019 where he made the final of Washington and then Canada and then Cincinnati and then the U.S. Open. And you'll remember throughout that entire run, it's like, all right, Daniil, good job, buddy. But like, you're going to get tired now, right? All right, you're going to get tired now, right? Especially coming into the U.S. Open where he had the massive summer. But there was a feeling coming into the U.S. Open where as well as he played, Surely he wasn't going to have the legs or the gas to actually be a threat in New York. And then he went five sets a bunch. And then he looked really injured. He looked like the walking dead in that tournament. And then somehow he made the final again. And then he mounted a comeback from down two sets to love against Nadal. So that was kind of our introduction summer of 2019 to Daniil Medvedev as a top level player. And ever since then, we've seen that a couple of other times in both 2020 and 2021. He went back to back making uh, the final of the Paris Masters and then the year-end championships. Granted, there is a week in between, but I still think physically that's a really, really tough thing to do. And I've never gotten the sense that when Medvedev makes a final that he usually loses early the next week. He's just not that kind of player. And that's a really good quality about him. So here he kind of shows that again and wins three titles in three weeks, which is something that is supposed to be really, really rare because it's super hard to do. But for some reason, it's happened three years in a row now. It didn't happen for 10 years. Murray did it in 2011. Uh... I don't have the exact tournaments, but I know that it was Shanghai, it was Bangkok, and I don't know what else. I don't know the third tournament. But Murray did it uh, during the Asian Swing after the U.S. Open in 2011. And then it was 10 years. Nobody did it for 10 years. Kasparu did it in 2021 on clay after Wimbledon. When most of the tour was in Tokyo for the Olympics. So it was really impressive. It was Rude's, you know, first first time Rude really tore up the tour, week in and week out for a for a stretch of time. So it was it was great for Rude, but the fields weren't really good. FAA did it last year on the indoor hard courts last October, which was really impressive. But with the the fact that they were indoor hard courts, and the fact that Felix was was serving and hitting his forehand as well as he was I don't think it was like a really impressive physical feat you know and I just think it's a little bit easier to do that indoors Felix ends up winning Florence that was not a good field in Florence at all he he should have won that title then he wins Antwerp uh not a great field In terms of his path. And then Basel. That was the really good one. Basel, he beats Alcaraz in the semis. uh, Runa in the final. But yeah, surely Medvedev's of the three was the most impressive. So there's some historical context. uh, Because, you know, Rotterdam, stacked field. Doha and Dubai. Those are good fields. Really good fields. Let's get into the Rublev final now. First of all, background on the head-to-head. Rublev had lost the first 13 sets against Medvedev. It was the most famous, maybe, nightmare matchup on tour because Rublev had even said, when we were kids growing up in Russia, I just couldn't beat Daniil. And then in the second set in Cincinnati, Medvedev runs into the camera and (laughs) loses his mind. Rublev beats Medvedev for the first time there in Cincinnati. And then last year in Turin, on the quickest courts, some of the quickest courts I've ever seen, fastest courts that that I think exist on the ATP tour uh, in, in Turin. Rublev won in the third set tie break, but Andre, man, was so impressive in that match. It was the most patient I've ever seen Rublev play from the baseline in my life. I've never seen him play more patient from the baseline. So suddenly Rublev's won two straight, but I don't know, I still felt like it was a, a not a good matchup for Rublev. It didn't change my mind. Like Tsitsipas, Medvedev... I no longer feel like is a bad matchup for Tsitsipas as I used to. This one does not have me convinced, did not have me convinced coming into the match. And lo and behold, Rublev ran into a lot of the same issues that I felt we were seeing early on in the head-to-head. I mean, the biggest thing is that Rublev really struggles to finish with his forehand against Daniil Medvedev because Medvedev is... Not only an unbelievable absorber of linear power, but is also so dynamite out of his backhand that he takes away really Rublev's favorite pattern, which is really clubbing the inside-out forehand into the righty backhand and uh, playing forehands from the ad side of the court. And just you know, Rublev generally will just blast right through you, and you just can't blast through Medvedev. It doesn't work. Uh, especially when he's 8 you know, to 15 feet behind the baseline. You're not going to be able to get through him with your forehand from the back of the court, really, no matter who you are. Um, and as a result, Rublev needs to kind of do a little bit more. So he did in this match, at least he tried. Um, and I, I'll just kind of run through this where I feel like Of all of Rublev's weaknesses, volleys, second serve, composure, backhand defense, felt like all of them were an issue in this match. It ends up being 6-2, 6-2, Medvedev, by the way. Uh, But okay, so because Rublev can't really finish with his forehand like he wants to, he needs to kind of come forward when he gets short balls, when he's in advantageous positions, and he did. Like, to his credit, he did and he ends up 12 of 18 at net which seems okay that's 67%. It seems fine. 67%. It's it's not amazing but it's all right. But if you watch the match, you know that it could have been at the very least 17 of 18 points one. Cuz there's at least five bad mistakes at net that that stuck out to me that I actually took note of. And I don't know what the last one is. Maybe Medvedev came up with a good good pass. I don't know. Uh, But... We've covered, you know, situations like, I don't know, the Murray match, actually, the the Murray final in Doha, where Medvedev came up with several great passing shots. This just wasn't one of those examples. Rublev should have been at least 17 of 18 or could have. I don't want to say should have because you're allowed to make a couple of mistakes. It's going to happen. But he could have been at least 17 of 18. And he ends up 12 of 18 uh, because he's not really clinical at net. Never has been. I don't think he ever will be but it really hurt him on a couple of service games as well where he he ended up getting broken and in fact it should have hurt him first game of the second set where he opened the game with back-to-back missed volleys uh and went down love 30 he ended up holding there in the second set um the other thing is the drop shot like why it's like he's never heard of the drop shot never heard of her in her life I don't know why I made the drop shot a female but uh, Rublev, drop shot, never heard of her. Never heard of her. And it's there. It's there for him. He just, he won't use it. So credit to Andre for coming forward. That's that's good. But could have probably mixed in the drop shot on the forehand side when he had short balls to attack. Other than that, he's, he's not finding really a, an easy way through Daniil. And the defense and the movement is just unbelievable for Medvedev in this match. Really, really great, especially on the backhand side. As I praise Medvedev, who I just think is so unbelievable, uh, unbelievably dexterous when his backhand side is under pressure. You know, whether he be whether it be a lot of pace and depth he's dealing with, or he's open stance and he's on the stretch, or I mean, you know, even on the return of serve we see this. It's it's incredible how often he puts his backhand back in play deep. It's just unbelievable. It handles pressure. It soaks up pressure. Um, as as well as really anyone's backhand can soak up pressure. Rublev's backhand is, is the opposite. And I felt there were a lot of failed neutralization attempts on the Rublev backhand. Now, if you look at unforced errors... Tennis TV had it 14-0. 14 unforced errors for Rublev, 0 for Medvedev. Yes, incredible that Medvedev finished with 0. Infosys, who's always a little bit kinder on the unforced errors, had it 5-0 Medvedev. So neither had Medvedev making unforced errors, but watching the match, I didn't feel like the unforced errors were really what stuck out for Rublev. It was the forced errors. It was the defense. It was how is that backhand under pressure uh, when... Medvedev injects pace into the Rublev backhand side. When Medvedev um, pushes Rublev out uh, wide on the forehand and then hits into the open court into Rublev's backhand side. How's Andre responding to those situations? I don't think well. I think we get a lot of forced errors, at least from from my eyes. You know, there's a lot. Because I actually like Rublev's backhand when he has time on the ball. I like it. I think he takes the ball down the line on his backhand side much better than most. And I think it's it's oftentimes a key for for Andre. And it helps him win a lot when he's taking his backhand down the line with precision and hurting opponents with that shot. I think he does that great. But I'm not talking about when he has time and he's able to step in and, and hit aggressive and offensive backhand down the line. I'm not talking about that shot. I'm saying when he's on the run, when he's under pressure, that's where i think it's a bad backhand. On the open stance when he tries to drive it, i think there's something that goes wrong technically there and there's a lot in the net, which you hate to see when when you're looking at defense. I don't like to see balls in the net when someone's trying to defend. No coaches do, no players do. That's where you should be really looking for uh net clearance and depth. But Rublev tends to miss in the net all the time on his drive backhand. Uh, open stance. He When he slices it, it's not a good slice at all. It floats. It's weak. And Medvedev did a great job stepping around off of Rublev's uh, defensive slice cross court and hitting big forehands. And Medvedev's forehand is red hot right now. And it has been for three weeks in these quick conditions. He's having no problem generating offense with it. Um, So essentially, just watching the match, what's the biggest thing that stood out in terms of technical disparity easy easy answer for me the difference in the ability for the backhands to withstand pressure second serve rublev averaged 80 miles per hour on the second serve which i think is a problem i mean you can't hit it any slower you can't hit it any slower than that and I think part of it is Rublev seeing Medvedev's deep return position and just being like, all right, you know, it's not worth hitting a big second serve. You don't need to hit it 100 miles per hour, but like, can we get 95 maybe? Uh, Just so that one time, maybe once or twice or three times or four times, you get the picture. Like most of the time, Medvedev is going to hit a neutralizing second serve return. And you're going to start the point even. That's what's going to happen most of the time. Because Medvedev is not an aggressive second serve returner. And I think Rublev kind of sees that and is like, okay, I'll roll it in uh, like a like an ITF player or like a junior and hit it 80 miles per hour. Which is like, again, it's, it's as slow as you can really hit it at this level. And I think that's Rublev's train of thought. But wait a second, like, if you're Andre Rublev, you're completely eliminating the possibility that you might get a short ball here and there off of your second serve. You might get a missed return here and there. Like, occasionally, you might get a missed return. If you hit it 80, forget it. Like, Medvedev's never going to miss... If you're hitting it 80 miles per hour, and he's always going to have exactly... He's going to be able to do with the return whatever he wants. Rublev on the second serve, if we go to the stats for the match, uh, he won 29%. Is 6 of 21? Is some of that just that Medvedev is winning from neutral because he's a better baseliner? Yeah, that's a lot of that. But, But a lot of that is also... The fact that the second per, the second serve is a lollipop. 80 miles per hour on average. Uh, Medvedev, on the other hand, he doesn't have the best second serve. But uh, I think one of the most important points of the match for Daniil in the second set was at 1-2-30 all. And Medvedev hit a second serve that went into the body, into Rublev's backhand hip. And then Medvedev hit a big forehand down the line for a winner. Plus one forehand winner. Off of a second serve. Rublev didn't get any of that. None of it. And there's also a difference in return position, which makes a difference, right? Uh, Medvedev, it's hard to hit a, a plus one winner on, on Medvedev off the second serve because he's actually uh, not taking the ball early off the return. So he's in great position to defend. Where Rublev tries to take it early, Medvedev goes body and jams him up. And on the deuce side, remember it's 30-all, on the deuce side, he actually gets Rublev moving the wrong direction to try to get out of the way of the ball. And that opens up the ad side of the court even more. But you see my point here? Most important point of the match, Medvedev hits a serve plus one winner on a second serve. Rublev does, doesn't have any of that with, with 80 miles per hour second serves. You're never going to hit a plus one winner. Okay, so I hit on the volleys, I hit on the second serve, I hit on the backhand defense from Rublev. Uh lastly, I just want to hit mentally, which continues to be a standout aspect for for Medvedev. Uh he is so confident right now and just he, he's indestructible. I haven't seen him waver in three weeks. My uh my qualm with, with Rublev is that his level got worse, I thought in both sets. After getting broken. I really liked the quality of tennis. In the first six games of the first set. In the first six games of the second set. Both times I thought high quality tennis. Good stuff from Rublev. Thought the level was high. Because Rublev, you know, I'm talking about his weaknesses. I will say his strengths were strong. As much as his weaknesses were weak, his strengths were strong. I think he was really good on the forehand. I think he he was finding good strong aggressive baseline patterns and and I mentioned you know the the 12 for 18 at the net like remember he he was coming forward and finishing points off at net um with some effectiveness and by the way his first serve was uh, working decently well A couple of free points in there enough i think in the 40% range of of first serves on return so yeah like first serve forehand a little bit of net play, like things were working for Andre. It's not like it was a awful performance, even though 6-2, 6'2, it looks like that. I will say, each time Medvedev got the break of serve, Rublev dipped. He got frustrated. I don't think his focus was good. There were more. There were more uh, routine unforced errors, regulation unforced errors, and I don't think his discipline was as good. Less patience from the baseline, which is really important. When you're playing Daniil Medvedev and his defense. And you're not going to be able to blast through him. And it's going to take a lot of point construction. Really important that he's patient and disciplined. That's what stuck out so much to me about Rublev's win against Medvedev at the ATP Finals. So, that comes down to composure. I praised Rublev's composure uh, when he beat Holger Runa at the Australian Open. Rublev in, in that match was the the player who was better of the two mentally. Uh because he he his he was playing the same way throughout. Uh in this match frustration. Is that cuz of their history uh with one another? Maybe it could be. Um the fact that Rublev kind of lacks a little bit of the belief against Medvedev even after beating him uh twice in a row could be. I don't know. But It was very, very easy to see that the composure after the adversity of getting his serve broken wasn't awesome in this match. First set, second set, same thing. Let's go to Acapulco. Unfortunately, I had a crazy weekend. I would have liked to kind of maybe comment on the semifinals more than I'm able to, but I can't. Uh, Yeah, huge win by Demonor over Holger Runa. I wish I saw more of that. Obviously, Tommy, Paul, and Taylor Fritz played an absolute epic in their semifinal uh, where Tommy was cramping and Fritz was throwing up, and it was the longest match in the history of the this uh, Acapulco event, and Tommy came through it. Uh, before I get to big picture stuff with Alex Minor, who won this one in three sets, uh, final score 3-6, 6-4, 6-1. Before I get into all that, uh, let me just go through the match. First set, Tommy Paul was uh, really, really tough in those ad side exchanges, and I felt that's where most of the match was being played. I I thought that this one was going to be really, really physical with how fast both these players are. They're both top five movers on hard court for me, and they don't have the best baseline finishing power. I've covered that with both of them. So man, they're gonna they're gonna play some. Uh, they're going to play some rallies, and I felt like errors. I felt there's going to be a lot of errors in this match that was going to decide who was going to win these points, less so winners. I felt, you know, winners are going to be hard to come by. It's going to be a lot of errors. So how that ended up materializing for me was mostly on the ad side where Tommy Paul had really good active feet, first of all, creating himself inside out forehands and he was hitting really big heavy inside out forehands and i feel like in the scouting report brad stein told tommy if you go big into Demonor's backhand he's not going to go down the line it's going to come cross court so just go big into that backhand and camp on the ad side and crush your forehand um and if he makes it good enough you know i also kind of Tommy almost always fancies himself also in the backhand and backhand. So I think he really wanted to play on the ad side in that cross court. And it was super effective because uh Demonora didn't have it at all on his backhand. It was the it was the weak link on the court. And the weak link on the court again was gonna be really important in this matchup. Neither neither guy is really gonna serve their opponent off the court. Neither guy is going to hit their opponent off the court. So who's gonna find that weak link? and it was it was definitely demonor's backhand and he couldn't change that pattern paul on the backhand side was extremely accurate as usual he's so precise amazing depth terrific angles and demon just felt very much you know always trapped in the backhand in in backhand jail and not only did he feel trapped in the backhand jail he was super inconsistent on his backhand and I think that was the uh, the kind of the biggest thing in the first set. But I was also impressed with Paul's fitness because when he needed to dig in and play long rallies, he was totally up for it after going uh, around three and a half hours, I don't know the exact number, against Taylor Fritz, which was super impressive. Especially in the game that he broke serve. There were some very physical rallies in there. You could say the only thing about the first set was Tommy Paul only won five points on Demonor Serve. Obviously, four of them came in the same game. That's how he broke serve. But whenever I see that after a set, I kind of wonder going forward, like, hmm, all right. You know, did did Tommy get a little bit lucky here in the first set that all of his return points happen to come in the same game? Sometimes that can indicate a little bit of luck. Sometimes not. But I had that, I had my eye on that come the second set. Most things in the second set were actually more of the same. I couldn't believe that Demon just kept missing so many backhands. And he kept going cross court. There was nothing coming down the line. And Paul continued to be really good on that ad side cross court. I still felt that was a really uh, stark advantage for him. However, the main thing that did change was uh, Tommy Paul's serve. Was this the the fatigue and the legs catching up to him? Probably. With how badly he served? Probably. We'll never know for sure unless he said it. And I will say I didn't, I didn't read the transcripts and I didn't listen to what he had to say after the match. But, man, Tommy Paul can't serve much worse than this, than what he did in the second set. He made 46% of his first serves and his speed was down 9 miles per hour. And I noticed towards the end of the set, he started kicking the ball in. And that was really, really ineffective because the, the kick serve, even on the bouncy Acapulco uh, court, in the first serve, it took Dimonor a, a second, I think, to adjust to it. But by the time Tommy Paul started kicking his serve in, in the second set, Dimonor was taking it early and connecting on the backhand return very, very solidly. So it wasn't working at all. Uh, so, his serve was totally ineffective in the second set, and Tommy Paul went from winning uh, rallies zero through four shots on his serve nine to one in the first set, nine to one, and then in the second set he won it seven five. And again, that is on serve zero through four. It should be a category that you should dominate. It should not be close. Seven to five is way too close. Ultimately, at 4-5, look, this was still a close set, which tells you that Tommy was still winning from the baseline. Uh, the fact that he served horrendously and it was still 4-5, the set was still in the balance here. But then at 4-5, the pattern that was, you know, crucial for Tommy that kept working for him over and over and over again, it did go the other way, uh, where Paul missed two neutral backhands, regulation backhands. And again, that was that was kind of the whole point that he wasn't missing any backhands. And that Demon was missing his cross court backhand. But Paul missed two. And then Demon finally hit a big one down the line. It was a winner. And like it it just came out at the right time. It was a neutral backhand. And Demonor ripped it down the line. He accelerated, he hit it boldly, he hit it accurate, big. It was a, it was a winner. Um, but that shot, I, I don't think he had hit it once until this point. To his credit, uh, he picked a good time. Um, and then three times, you had you had the, the pattern that was working for Paul the entire match uh, fail him at this 4-5 game, and that was the break of serve. In the third set, Demonor adjusted. I don't know if it was because he hit that big backhand down the line for a winner, but... Finally, he started taking his backhand down the line. I have the stats here. um, And I will show you a visual representation of that. Demonor on the backhand. Here we go. Uh, First set. Demonor backhand. 78% cross court. Second set. Again, 78% cross court. Third set. 60% cross court, 40% down the line. That's much, 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 much better. And also like, look at the middle of the court, like forehand middle. Look at that. You see a lot of balls forehand middle here. That's great. You got to hit forehand middle. Look at forehand middle in the second set. There's literally a gaping hole there. There's no, there's no balls there, which is awful. You have to hit balls there against Tommy Paul. Look, there's no balls forehand middle, really. I mean, maybe there's two. Two maybe. But uh that's no good. Um because in reality, it's a great place to go. Look at break point, first game of the third set. Demon um on this open stance kind of defensive backhand. He's defending, even though it doesn't look like it. Demonor always hugs the baseline, so um even when he's defending it it's hard for that to come across in screenshots. But yeah, he he's on the run here. And look, he goes deep middle. Yes. That's that's what you want. I actually think Hawkeye would have uh, counted this as a backhand cross court. But in reality, it's a backhand middle. And Paul does not hit this forehand well. It's one of his weaknesses. If you go hard at his forehand, middle of the court, he misses it a lot. And he hits this one long. So finally, Demonor figured out the backhand in the third set. And Tommy just only got more tired. The serve still wasn't really great. And that's why you saw it 6-1. By the way, I do think if Demon didn't start taking his backhand down the line, he would have been broken in the first game of the third set. Obviously, it's like, you know, the butterfly effect. We can't know that for sure. But three times, first game of the third set, Demon hit either... So one of the times I just showed you the screenshot. And then two other times, backhand down the line by Demon or into a Paul forehand on forced air. Two other times. So that's three times in the game... And Demonor still had to save either two or three break points. So it was a, a really tight game where Paul was knocking on the door. Imagine if if Demon doesn't go down the line with his backhand and plays like he was in the first and the second set going cross-court all the time, uh, 80% of the time. Probably a break of serve. Probably one love to Tommy to start the third set. Instead, Demonor holds um, and then Demonor, uh broke serve at love one with three scrambles and a double fault. So demonor's legs were great in that first game of the third set. really really great. Um, it was a phenomenal return game because Paul was was really in charge of those points all right and then and then Tommy kind of went away from there. so six one of the third set. uh Demonor, what does it mean? Biggest win, I think, for him in in a in a long time. It's it's his biggest title in a while uh, because, you know, last year Atlanta, the year before it was Antalya, and I think Eastbourne. Um, year before it was Antwerp. Uh, th- this this is a bigger tournament um, than than any of those. So so big win for for Demonor, but um, also I I just think things are trending well for him. His win percentage is on pace to improve for a third consecutive year. Now, I get it. The sample size is pretty small for this year so far, but he was a 500 player in 2021, which was concerning. The only reason his ranking didn't suffer is because he happened to win two titles that year. Uh, Last year, it was 15 percentage points better at 65%. And this year, it's another 10 percentage points better. It's up to 75% with a 12 and four start to the year. Excellent. He's back in the top 20 for the first time since the U.S. Open in 2021. So it has been over a year now since he's been in the top 20. And he is now number 18. Interestingly enough, 18 historically is where he caps off. Uh, His career high is actually 15, but he really only spent two weeks there. And one tournament. Wimbledon, uh, Wimbledon 2021, he came in as 15 in the world. And then he lost first round and went right back to being 18 in the world. So it was very short lived. Um, he's played like one or two events as uh, as 16 uh, or I'm sorry, 17, but really 18 is kind of if you look at the the history, his rankings history. He's played seven events in his career as world number 18. So that is where he's kind of been capped off. He struggled to kind of break through that spot. Uh, just interesting. Is it? Does it really mean much? No, but you know, I, I wanted to look at it because his rankings have been interesting to follow recently because it hasn't been the linear progression that you would want from a young player in the last couple of years. Demonior is still in his uh, early-ish twenties, yet it hasn't been that steady improvement that you want to see. So it's been interesting to see. You know, I was going through his rankings and. Uh, A couple of times, he's been as high as 18, and that is kind of where he hasn't been able to keep progressing past in the rankings, right? On Tommy Paul, great effort this week. Uh, Look, he's worked incredibly hard at his fitness, and he used to be horrible at recovering after long matches, used to be a huge weakness of his, and he's gotten pretty good at it uh, by just working much, 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 much harder than he ever has. And employing a full-time physio, which is a a new thing for him that he just started doing recently. It pays off with a win like he had in the semifinal against Taylor Fritz. You know, deep into the tournament, going three and a half hours, that's not easy. Uh, He was able to do that, and he was in this final against Alex Dimonor. It would have been kind of impressive, very impressive, I should say, if he won it, coming off of that physical semifinal. And he won the first set, and he was in it late in the second, Uh, Didn't end up getting it done. But I think that there's uh, a lot of good signs for Tommy Paul. So that's all. Indian Wells preview coming out soon. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.